0: Every single day I feel the yeah. Artlist I own Every single day I feel the pressure Double up the weight, let's make it extra Working so my mother get a rest, yeah Working like I never knew I'm best, yeah Every single day I feel the pressure Welcome back to and That One Studio, it's your boy C-Rock in the house, got another great guest for you today, and uh, we are going to kick the show off the right way here with this pressure music, because everybody always feels the pressure. It's just how you handle the pressure that's key, right? And so we're back here. I got some uh, new merch coming out, that one merch. We got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and I'm going to be doing some limited drops as well. This is a new gray, charcoal gray shirt. I've been wearing black, but I have white, charcoal gray. We got them all now. And I just want everybody to understand that what this brand is about is about finding who you are not identifying with what you do in the vehicle that you're driving to get to your mission, which most people do. So that vehicle crashes, that, 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 that uh, industry you're in has problems and your identity disappears when you do that. So we want to make sure we identify who we are and find out who we are and lean into that one, that one person. All right. So anyway, let's, uh, let's introduce our guest today. We have Linda McKissick in the building. She's the author of the USA times bestseller hold how to find, buy and rent houses for wealth whose aspirational story has appeared in Dan Sullivan's 10X is easier than 2X and is a highly sought-after communicator and entrepreneur coach with over 35 years of experience in the real estate industry. In the late 80s, Linda and her husband, Jim, found... I say that because I was born in 77. We just talked about <laughs> age, so it's, it's okay, guys. <laughs> Linda and her husband, in the late 80s, uh, found themselves 600000 in debt almost overnight during the savings and loan crisis in Texas with tenacity, determination, and a plan for... For success, Linda would become the number one real estate agent at Keller Williams Realty to then go on and own multiple Keller Williams franchises, become the number one Keller Williams profit share earner, and purchase the Keller Williams region. They now own over 70 single-family, I mean, this is a great story, 70 single-family rental properties around Dallas, eight commercial buildings, 34 nightly rental cabins in Branson, Missouri, and have a net worth over $100 million. By the way, this might have changed since this, this bio was written, because I mean, I know when you have this kind of real estate, things... They change pretty quickly either way. So hopefully bigger, but uh, welcome to the show, Linda.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: What does it feel like to have a net worth over a hundred million dollars?
1: You know, it's interesting. People ask all the time, you know, are you shocked by your success? You know, do I don't think I feel any different other than life is easier. There's more opportunities. There's more freedoms. Um, But I think I, I definitely, it doesn't make me happier. I'm a happy person when I was six hundred thousand well, I wasn't very happy when we were $600,000 in debt. I was pretty grumpy uh, and, and pretty fearful. And you know, all the things you'd probably be when all of a sudden you wake up and go, I don't even know how much money that is. Um, however, you know, I'm always a happy person. What I love is the opportunities and the freedoms of your time, your money and your relationships. Because I, I learned at an early age that I'm a freedom seeker, that when I felt like I was in a box <clears throat> or something, I just immediately would start trying to figure out how to get out of that box. So I, f- I feel blessed to be honest with you that I, that we have that. I feel a little more secure for sure than the $600,000 in debt, but I don't know, you know, I don't definitely don't associate a hundred million being, you know, my happiness. I'm, I'm always a happy person, yeah. but I do feel like it opens up doors and its opportunities and its freedoms and its security.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let well, me ask whatever you Whatever
1: que- security you can have, because anything could go away tomorrow, right? But yeah. We
0: were, we, we were talking about anti-aging and reverse aging health and all that. And then oh, ago yeah. too. before we started the show. But before I go any further, I, I apologize. I got to ask you the question. <laughs> this is why I start to, I say this all the time. I ask the question first because I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. Uh, let me ask you this too. And I have some more questions on the 600,000 in debt uh, and some observations. But uh, Linda, what are you made of?
1: Uh, tena- pure tenacity. I mean, I just, uh, if I'm determined about something or I believe about something, I'm not going to let go until it's accomplished and it may take me longer than it might take someone else. Uh, but I think 90% of somebody's success sometimes is that they just don't give up. They yeah. don't, they don't quit.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's, that's, uh, I'd say that I'm, uh, unstoppable a lot, you know, and I just keep reminding myself until I pluck, I'm plucked from this planet. And even then I believe my spirit goes on. I'm unstoppable. So, you know, I don't ever fret. I don't ever frown. I don't get down yeah. because I just, you know. So I, I love what you're saying. Now, let me ask you a question: Six hundred thousand in debt, right? Yeah. Does it really make a difference whether it's a hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, six million? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You just say, "I'm sorry, I messed up. Yeah. I went for it," and then you go do, you know, start for start over, or even just bartend on a nice beach in the Caribbean and live like a simple life. That's what I always think. Like, what's the worst case scenario? Right. That question there, like that. And then also like the more you're in debt, don't the banks work with you because you're like, they want to work with you because you're kind of partners with them at that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the thing I think there's, um, you know, you know, there's definitely always fear because number one, I was in my early twenties. So I didn't even know how much 600,000 really was. So that helped and it hurt. And then, you know, I didn't even know what the word economy meant, much less is it a good one or a bad one. But at that point in my life, I'd never really, other than waitressing or bartending at my husband's nightclub, which is a situation that got us in the six hundred thousand dollars in debt, I'd never made more than minimum wage. And I didn't go to college because nobody in my family had gone to college. So I didn't feel very prepared. And I think that is where the fear comes in is, um, I'm a problem solver. The minute you give me one of your problems, even though it's not my problem, I'm going to go to work and try to help you solve that problem. I don't know. That's just the way I'm wired that that's, that's the one me, you know? And so I think the fear came with, I don't know if I know how to do this. And, and that, you know, you, for a little bit of time, you're like, okay, crap, I don't even know how you get out of this much debt. I have a super high responsibility on the strength finders also. So I think not paying those people back for my husband or myself was not an option. And you're right. The blessing was that the banks back then, because it was, um, Savings and loan crisis, oil and gas, and real estate. We were not the only people in that boat. There were so many people in that boat, and that kind of became a blessing because the bankers would call you, and they would say, "Hey, if you can give us thirty cents on a dollar, we've got auditors coming. We need to get this off our books." And so, my husband was still in the a, a restaurant business, not that one, but, and so we were able to manage between my real estate sales and that, you know, over about a five or six year period, get enough cash to get out of that situation. But, uh, yeah, it, looking back, you know, a hundred is it probably wouldn't have made a difference, but in in the moment it was pretty, you know, pretty, you know, like I always say, it was not marriage enriching for sure. <laughs> we're, oh, we're lucky sure. we made it right. But, um, but you know, there was a lot of fear around it. Cause you're not really sure. How do you solve it?
0: Yeah. So- you know, uh, another thing I think about too, is like fear fear like when you're thinking about this right if you and your husband turn to each other and said hey listen we're 600,000 in debt now you're young and you didn't know but nowadays you could do this right and that, let's say you didn't have the, the net worth that you have now but even now that being through the stuff that you've been through like my wife and I we look at each other and say there's nothing to fear here as long as we support each other what's yeah. the worst that can happen and then you know like I always say like if I give it my all and I and I fail I can say, Hey, listen, I did everything I could. I'm in this situation now. Help me. Mm -hmm. Let's help. Let's work together, you know? And so I don't, I don't really, you know, it's something that have been in uh, that feeling in the past, that feeling in your chest It's not fun. So decide not to have it and then do anything else besides that, you know? So, um, you know, I just want to encourage everybody that's listening to this because some people are like 10,000 in debt, hundred thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, 50,000, whatever. And they're stressed. And they can't even wrap their head around 600,000 at the end of the day, guys, like they you know, at the end of the day, if you try your hardest and you have to wipe yourself, wipe the slate clean, if you have to, mm-hmm. you know, you do your best. So anyway, all right. So 600,000 from restaurant business, right? Is that what you said? Restaurant bar club kind of right. business. Okay. So as you went forward, um, what was the first thing you did to figure this out? Like, was it real estate? Is it, you decided to get your real estate license?
1: Well, actually, my husband gave me that idea. Um, Actually, he was starting to really, you know, sweat the bankers and not want to go to sleep at night because morning came quickly. And he eventually said to me, I need your help. And I just looked at him and said, you know, when you don't know, when you don't have answers, you look for other people for the answers. And I said, you know, I'm a hard worker. Normally, my whole life, I've had two jobs. But what in the world am I going to do to help (laughs) with something like this? And he said, you know, a mentor of mine told me a long time ago, if you want to make a lot of money." that real estate is the way to do it. Now I've since grown up and figured out that that man was a developer himself. That was a PeeWee coach mm-hmm. uh, and a mentor for my husband all the way through his high school years. Um, and the guy meant buy some real estate or build some real estate or develop some real estate. But I'm just thankful that my husband didn't know the difference of what he was talking about. Cause I'm, sales, real estate sales was a perfect fit. Once I figured it out, it was a perfect fit for me because I'm tenacious. I work hard. I'm highly responsible. You know, it was a really good fit and it was a great, great way to build cash flow. Now it wasn't a great way to, you know, hedge all of our bets later, just selling real estate. But we started reading books and the most impactful book we read was uh, the second book by Robert Kiyosaki, which is called Cashflow Quadrant. And, you know, I always like to say, once you know something, you can't pretend you don't. And when I we read that book, um, I, I, you know, I, we immediately started looking for answers. <laughs> Who do we know that's been through this before? What books can we read? And that book literally spelled it out and said 95% of the world lives on the left side of the equation, and that is their employees are self-employed. And the wealthy are only 5%, and they live on the right side of the equation, and they are business owners or investors. And the choices are investings or stocks or real estate. And I thought, well, I'm selling real estate, so that would make the most sense. So literally, before we even climbed out of the $600,000 in debt, I started selling houses. And uh, we put a little plan together that we would buy 20 houses, get them free and clear by the time my husband was 60. And he's nine years older than me, so we used his age. And immediately, a property came across my desk uh, for me to go out on. And it was a house that was vacant, had foundation issues. The people said, look, we just want to sell it to an investor. So I went home thinking I had the solution. And my husband immediately said, Linda, we have no cash and no bank is going to loan us any money. So I went to sleep that night and I woke up. And like most people, when you're the quietest is when the best answers come. I woke up thinking about a builder that I knew that I was doing business with. And uh, I said, I think Lou will do this with me. He'll partner with us on this. And and so I went to him and said, all I got is whatever commission I have in this. I can't go to the bank. We can't, you know, we can't do anything. But if you would partner with us, we'll split these profits. And so we flipped the first property and then we went on to buy two more with him. And eventually we would hold, uh, We'd when we split up our partnerships, we let him pick which one he wanted. He picked one closest to the women's university and we picked, we got the one closest to the uh, University of North Texas and then we still have that property today and it pays us more than my husband's social security for working for 40 years. So, you know, I just feel like, you know, once you're in those situations and you start looking for the answers, the answers are there somewhere. Either somebody has yeah. them, and the same thing that I teach about investing, if you don't have the money, somebody out there does. And if you're responsible enough and trustworthy enough and have enough knowledge, a lot of people are willing to partner with you uh to do it because they don't have that knowledge and they don't have that but you got to bring something to the table. And so that's how we actually bought our first three properties while we were still in that $600,000 in debt. But we started looking for books for us. It was reading from somebody who had been through this kind of thing before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how did you know when to stop flipping and when to hold?
1: Uh, well, we realized that uh passive income is, you know, money that comes to you. Um, you know, when you don't want to work anymore, or you do want to work, but you don't want to work because you have to. And if you flip, that's no different than if I went out and sold somebody's house and made a commission. So wealth and, wealth and cash flow are not the same thing <laughs> at all. And so we didn't need more cash flow. What we needed was to, number one, be in a situation where when the market does go down, because life is going to give you some unexpecteds always, right? Yep. Uh, we like to call them gradualies and suddenlies. And so how prepared am I going to be? I'm either going to get, I can either get wealthy during that time or I can really struggle. And so we just wanted to be prepared and we knew that if we, to be prepared, we needed money coming in, in the future that wasn't dependent on us working and uh, that it's like a big piggy bank. Somebody else is paying it off. And then in 20 years, they're free and clear that money's coming in passively and I can still work or I can still not work, you know, depending on, you know, who you are and what you want to do. I plan to always yeah. work, but not do the things that I don't love.
0: <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. That's what provides you that freedom to do passion jobs, passion work. Uh, What what percentage of the time do you uh, know what you're doing and what percentage of the time do you not know what you're doing?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, That's so funny. Uh, I love that question. You know, it's funny. I I think as I get older and wiser, I know a little bit more about what I'm doing, but I've also always been one of those people that I'm okay to not know what I'm doing. I think for your life to get big, you have to make those big, scary commitments that you don't have a flipping clue how you're going to do them. I, and, and the minute you stop that, um, I think it's it's a problem. You move into complacency. It's not near as rewarding. It's not near as passion. You know, you don't have as near as much passion around it. I don't think it keeps you as alive well. Uh, definitely doesn't keep your adrenaline flowing as good. But um, I think, so I try to stay in situations where I do, I am out of my comfort zone and I don't, I don't have a clue how I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah because i think that's that's how our lives really get big and i've done that enough times that that's how you get to to whatever you know wherever you're trying to get to and i, I don't think you ever stop personally because i think there's something about who you become as you go out and try those things and one of my big fears is i'm going to get to the end of my life and i'm going to figure out that i could have became even more and i didn't know that because you know i had a mentor of mine tell me one time that Life is about becoming, and the way you become is you get out there in the world and you see what all you can achieve. And sports teams don't win one Super Bowl and go back to the, you know, the, the whatever they go back to, the dugout or the, or the, you know, wherever, and quit. They go back to the gym, they go back to the practice field, and they go see what else, you know, what else they can achieve. And through that achieving, you actually become. And what I would say is I would, I would trade all the money I have to get to keep who I've become. Because the becoming is where the real reward is, and I have no fear around losing any or all of the money because I I know so much more. Um, you know, I've become a, a person that I could go figure it all out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what? What? If, how do you keep yourself interested in working when you've you know you don't have to work? Yeah. Like well, I have what, lots when you of wake great up in the coaches. Yeah.
1: I have lots of great coaches, Dan Sullivan being one of them. And one of the really cool things that he's really had me think more about in the last few years is what is my unique ability? And I always say this, every, you know, everybody has unique ability and nobody thinks they do because it's so easy for you. You think it's easy for everybody. And uh, what I've learned by watching, I'm a big observer of people and I, if I really love them as a leader and I love their life, then I look behind the scenes and say, what's creating that life? How are they able to have that? And one of the things that Dan does so well that he's such a role model for is uh, he stays in his unique ability. And ultimately that is the one thing he does. And everything else is done by someone else. John Maxwell does it too. I am blessed to have a close relationship with John and um, he does the same thing. I was Mm -hmm. with him in Israel when COVID was happening all around us. And he never blinked an eye. He kept doing his one thing. Now his team was scurrying like heck around. But so what I've loved is the more I can pay attention to what, what my unique ability is, what my energy is around it, how, you know, how I feel when I'm getting to do it, then I can design work to design my day in such a way and my life in such a way that over time, and by the way, I think that changes over time. You know, I used to love to go list houses. I don't want to go list houses anymore, but I can find a different mechanism that gives me that same thing that uses my unique abilities in a different way mm-hmm. and get that same energy and feel. And so, so I I keep just working to get that unique ability getting used all the time and not doing the things that are, uh, you know, drain my energy, don't feel very good. I'm not that great at anyway. All those things.
0: What is your uh, unique ability?
1: You know, it's funny. I would say I'm a multiplier. Uh, It's it's really funny because I'm. I told you I was here at my longevity doctor's office today doing uh, tests and stuff. And the nutritionist came in and she starts telling me all these great recipes that she has. And I'm like, "Girl, why don't you do a cookbook?" You know. So I'm a multiplier. I like. I'm a great recruiter. If I believe in something, I'm going to recruit the world to it. So I just I'm a problem solver. I love to solve challenges and problems. And I always tell my team, look. I'm the person you want to bring it to if it can't be solved. I don't know how I just got something in my brain that goes to work, and and solves that problem one way or the other. I I like to look for the answers. I'm also an opportunity seeker. Somehow I can see an opportunity in things that people can't see an opportunity in. Uh, so if as long and and for me, I love helping successful but overworked real entrepreneurs because I love helping them figure out that leverage and passive income is kind of what what's the missing link in most of their lives. So, uh, you know, my goal is to just have more and more of my day in that kind of stuff and less in the stuff that, you know, and you know, the stuff that drains your energy that is life sucking that you don't really want to do. And I I do very little of that, if any, anymore. I've got great people around me. uh, But just, just realizing that you could do that till you're a hundred and something. Yeah. You you don't want to quit if you're doing those things. If you're you know and and even like we mentioned in the book 10x is easier than 2x that's the other thing i think when you can learn how to get your world when you can 10x your world 2x is where all the headache is mm-hmm. and most people stay in the 2x and really what what we all should do is figure out how to get to the 10x as, as much as possible that's where it's more exciting it's more challenging it's more fun it's more rewarding
0: now when <clears throat> a couple of things when you're talking about 10x and two, easier than 2x what is dan referring to in that for the audience. You know,
1: it, it's anything. It could be a 10X goal. It could be a 10X life. It's it's really you, um, you know, you, when I saw real estate, I sold it alone. I was 2X. When I began to build a team around me, it was 10X. So all of a sudden, that paperwork that I can't do very well anyway, I didn't even have to do that, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times it's getting rid of the stuff that's not your unique ability, to be honest, and, um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, um, think it's easier to say, well, I'll just double my goal next year. And I, I just cha- challenged someone with this the other day, um, uh, when she, she was setting a goal, I said, well, you're setting two X goals, set a 10 X goals. And then all of a sudden, all your two X way to solve it won't work. Right. You got to think outside of the box. You got to say, okay, cause back when I hired assistants, no realtors hardly had assistants at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just unheard of. I mean, and it was an uphill battle because no one thought a realtor should have an assistant that they had to talk to, right? And then when I stepped out of my real estate business and replaced myself with someone, uh, that was unheard of. No one did that. You What? You're going to leave your business? No one's going to do business with you. Well, guess what? They did, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I got to go build a, you know, a 10x life, opening business, real estate businesses and things like that, because, you know, I was willing to do things that nobody else was willing to do that they, you know, that they, and i don't, don't get me wrong. There was fear around it. There's the fear doesn't go away. The fear, you just have to figure out how to do it anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times fear doesn't go away around things because you're not sure how you're going to do it. And you don't really know if it can be done. But, um, so I think it's really just, you know, thinking about how do I, how do I get more in my unique ability and give away all the things that are keeping me from 10 X, you know, yeah. me selling houses was keeping me from 10 xing my life because you only have 24 hours in a day. That's it. That's all we got. Any of us, right? That's the one common denominator.
0: Yep. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, I do this all the time now. And, and, you know, it's for those out there that say, well, you're giving somebody else your dirty work, your low leverage tasks. No, no, no. We're giving them an opportunity to do that. And it's their choice and, and opportunity, for them to learn as much as they can while they're in that position and then elevate from that position. And so well, you provide Even if for they someone. don't
1: elevate from that position, I have a card on my desk that I got from uh, one of Dan's books. And it says, when you do something you're good at, you cheat someone from doing something they're great at. Yeah. When we feel bad about delegation is when we think we're giving a task that we're better at to someone right. else. I'm very right. clear. I'm not better at those. Right. And if you give them to those people, that's the stuff that gives them energy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really doing anything to them. I'm actually doing something for them. Now it'll be up to them whether they have the ability to be the person that runs my whole office and my whole life and my whole world, right. Or whatever. So I think we have to be careful because I think we think we're doing something to someone, but in reality, that's the stuff that gives them energy that gives them joy.
0: Um, Yep. Yep. 100%. So uh, let me go back to real quick to the uh, back in history a little bit here. Um, because there was something that happened in 08, 09, to 2012. Where were you guys during all that and how, that, how did that all affect you?
1: We were definitely more prepared. Uh, we, uh, it did not affect us at all. Matter of fact, our, our net worth went way up. We bought a ton of properties on the foreclosure steps uh, during that time. Um, we, were, we were ready for that shift. We were ready for the heck gradually yeah. and suddenly, and so uh, we our net worth shot through the roof during that time because of uh, buying a lot more rental properties. We've had over probably three hundred properties at any given time, but we've bought and sold some we've divided partnerships. One of the things we do sometimes with our key people who haven't built wealth is we will actually uh, go um, we will actually go um, Buy houses with them to help them mm-hmm. get wealth or build wealth, and so some of those partnerships we were ready to just uh, partner divide, and so we'd let them pick the properties that they wanted, and we'd take, we'd keep the rest or whatever.
0: And so, there's there's a chance though the properties you had the values dropped, but it doesn't matter if it's cash flowing.
1: Well, if you don't sell them, it holding. don't matter. You're holding. You don't sell yeah.
0: them. Yeah, yeah you that, don't sell them. Why, and they're cash flowing,
1: Yeah. That's another reason why you hold. And our philosophy is to buy be 70 to 30 loan to value ratio so that we don't ever, uh, we don't ever actually, we're not over leveraged in anything.
0: Well, and even if you got over leveraged and you had renters, when that happened, a lot of foreclosures happened and a lot more renters came into the market because they had their house foreclosed on. So rent should have gone up a little, I would imagine during that time. Do you recall? Uh,
1: Yes. Rents were good. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all right, cool, so uh, we as we wrap up here, I have a few more questions. Number one, why do you go out on podcasts as a guest?
1: Um, well, one, they ask, and I'm you know i I believe uh, what Joe polish says, life gives to the giver and takes from the taker, and none of us succeeds alone. So if I can help one other person, you know, believe in themselves or believe something's possible, then I love doing that. That gives me joy, gives me purpose. um and you kn- you just don't know who that's going to open the door to a relationship to, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not, honestly, I haven't gone out and sought uh, any podcast to be on. I'm usually looking for people to be on mine uh, authors and different things like that. And I haven't done that. So it's one of the areas where we probably should be a little bit better uh, at that. But uh, I just feel like if you're on what I feel, I'm a faith person. So I believe if you're on God's plan and you're, you're working and using your unique abilities. I think you're going to have doors that open. And I just always walk through those doors.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I've been on so many and I've seen these benefits and I'm always curious about other people and what they've recognized and what cognitions have come from being on podcasts. Now, having your own and you said you have multiple uh, in the green room, you said you had multiple. Um, What's the reason that you have multiple, I guess, and, and any? Doing uh, leverage,
1: uh, leverage, because you can only reach so many people. I was traveling the world, in the real estate world, teaching, teaching, teaching. And, you know, that kind of wears on you after a while. And so there's new vehicles that came available. Uh, it's one of my things I love to do. It gives me joy to share ideas and things that might help other people. It gives me energy. And so uh, it was a, a way to do that without getting on plane every day uh, or on a regular basis, uh, to do that. And so it reaches more people and you just don't know, you know, I'm all about relationships too. I believe, um, you know, the relationships that come into your life make a difference, a real big difference. And I know lots, I can point to lots of them that have. And so I'm just open to what all that brings. And so I do the podcast because I feel like my life lessons can help other people. And so if that's the case, then the only way to reach a a lot of people without getting on a plane is podcast.
0: Yeah. And, and then final question, Linda. I love that, by the way. Uh, final question. Your legacy, personal legacy. All right. Linda's personal legacy. What do you want that to look like and and be?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Well, and I have shirts that say build wealth, change lives, leave a legacy, uh, because I believe you can always – even when it feels like to some people, like when you buy their house and they're in trouble, I don't see that as doing something to someone. I feel that someone needs a life change. And if I can be the person that shows up and takes that responsibility off of them, I'm actually doing something for someone. So my legacy would be that I leave as much knowledge as I possibly can for the rest of the world to build bigger and better lives so that they can serve other people, uh, that they can be ready for life's unexpected. And, uh, you know, they did a study that we did in the hold book that they followed a hundred people. And the bottom line was one was wealthy. Five were financially secure. Uh, four were financially secure. Five were working because they had to 36 were dead and 54 were de- broken, dependent on their friends. And I don't know about you, but some of those friends and family have been mine. <laughs> so I want to be able to step in those gaps and I want to teach my kids. We do a Mimi and pop pop camp coming up right before Thanksgiving. And part of what we teach them is financial stuff, you know, manners, things that, that are important in life to know. And then we're going to go serve at the Salvation Army and show that, you know, what when you get things in life, you have a responsibility to help other people, you know, give it a leg up or, you know, and I've certainly been places in my life when people like Salvation Army had to step in. And so just learning to, you get blessed, you got to, you got to bless other people.
0: Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I look forward to developing a relationship with you and your husband. I'd love to meet your husband as well. Oh, so, he's, uh,
1: he's fabulous.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. Awesome. All we'll right. do a follow up after this. So thank you for being here. Thank you all for joining us, listening, watching, however you're consuming this content. Content. It's your boy C Rock here from That One Studio on The What Do You Made Of Show. Until next time, be That One. Linda, hold tight. I do that me nervous. I'm like, check one, two,
1: i you boy, tell me-